Hey, Christ community, thanks for letting me be a part of your spiritual journey today. Uh, before we jump into the message, I wanted to mention that we have a baptism weekend coming up in a few weeks in our in-person worship services. Uh, baptism is uh, something that Jesus commanded us to do in response to what he has done for us. It's a way to publicly declare our faith in Christ. So if you have never been baptized as a believer and you are in the Greeley area, I would encourage you to consider doing so uh, at Christ Community the weekend of November 21st and 22nd. If you, even if you have been baptized as an infant, we encourage you to be baptized as an adult to demonstrate your faith in Christ. So if you're wanting to be baptized, we do ask that you attend one of our orientations. The information about those is in our newsletter or on our website. We are taking great care to do this baptism in a safe manner. The water will be chemically treated. People will be socially distanced. And God will be at work um, in those who are being baptized. So it's going to be a great weekend. Well, today we are in week two of a new teaching series in which we're focusing on a passage of scripture found in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 58. As I mentioned last week, a few months ago, I had laid out a teaching series. I had all the weeks and the topics laid out for this fall. But, but over time, I began to feel a growing sense of unsettledness about it, that it wasn't what God wanted us as a church to be focusing on. And so as I began to seek the Lord about this, he redirected me to this passage in Isaiah 58. And I feel so strongly that God's hand is on this passage for us as a church in this season. Now, I realize the timing of this may look like it's politically motivated, but I assure you it is not. I am just trying to follow the Lord. What initially drew me to this passage was this beautiful vision God has for his people that we would be, verse 12 here, we would be a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of streets with dwellings. I love that. God wants us to be an influence for healing and restoration in this broken world that we live in. But there's a problem as we saw last week in the first part of Isaiah 58, God says to his people, look, I know you're seeking me and praying and fasting, but I'm not hearing you because you have a huge blind spot. There is something near and dear to my heart that you are not seeing. So beginning in verse three, God tells them what that blind spot is. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. See, the reason God is not hearing their prayers and responding to their fasting is because they are missing God's heart as it relates to the issue of justice. And this has been a blind spot that I have had as well. As we talked about last week, we often only think of God's justice in terms of 
retribution, him punishing sin and evil. But from a biblical perspective, God's justice is so much more than that. As we see here and earlier in Isaiah chapter 1 and in Micah chapter 6 and in Deuteronomy 10 and in the life of Jesus, God's justice also includes his huge heart for the vulnerable, for the weak, for the hungry, for those who have no voice, which is why over and over again, God says to his people, seek justice, do justice. Or as he says here in Isaiah 58, loose the chains of injustice. See, in doing so, we help bring healing and restoration to this broken world in which we live. And this is why we're calling this series Healing Justice. Healing justice is justice that is rooted in the heart of God. Now, I prefer the phrase healing justice to the phrase social justice because a lot of, cause, a lot of people are talking about social justice today. A lot of causes are using this phrase social justice to advance things that don't reflect the heart of God. So Isaiah 58 provides a helpful foundation for us to identify some specific areas of justice that God wants us to pursue. But it's not only Isaiah 58. We're, we're going to see how Jesus' life and teaching completely reinforce what we're told throughout Isaiah 58. Well, today I want us to focus in on verse 6 of this chapter where God addresses a specific aspect of healing justice, and that is the area of oppression. Look with me at verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. We see here that a crucial part of healing justice is helping those who are oppressed. When Jesus stood up in the synagogue at the start of his ministry, he took the scroll of Isaiah, we're told in Luke 4, he took the scroll of Isaiah, he opened it to a passage in Isaiah and that described really his job description. And this is his job description. The language he read there sounds very similar to this passage. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' heart, to set the oppressed free. And this is the heart that's reflected in Isaiah 58. But what does that mean? This word translated oppressed in, in Isaiah literally means to crush. It means to place a heavy burden on someone. So both Isaiah and Jesus make it clear that God's heart is that we be about lifting people's burdens. Setting the oppressed free. So what does that look like today? It, well, in order to answer that question, we have to try and identify places in our society, our world today, where oppression is happening. And then we, we need to explore our response to that as followers of Jesus. Now, now let me just say that we're going to get really practical here. And, and this is not an easy topic to look at or to do a sermon on, honestly, um, because because there's, there, are, there, are, there are a lot of these areas that we're going to talk about today. A lot of them have been, have been politicized. And they have become polarizing, which makes it challenging to look at. But, but I just want to share my heart in this. Here's my heart. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, it is totally okay for you to feel tension about some of these things I'm going to bring up, to feel tension inside. And I just want us to move toward the tension 
rather than avoiding it. Because it is in the tension and the disagreement and the uncomfortableness that we feel. It's in that place that God can do a significant work in our hearts. So thank you. Thank you, Christ community. Thank you for your willingness to move toward these areas of tension and explore this together and maybe disagree on some things, but knowing that our ultimate heart, all of us, our ultimate heart is that we want to follow God's heart as revealed in the Bible, as revealed in God's word, even if that means at times God's word contradicting our presuppositions or our previously held views on something or whatever. Okay, so in verse six, God is urging us to pursue healing justice by facing and dealing with oppression in its various forms. So what are some of those forms of oppression that, that, that oppression may take, those forms that oppression may take, and what are some places maybe in our lives or in our world where this is happening? Well, the first form of oppression described in this passage is exploitation. Exploitation. Look at verse 3. Isaiah writes, or God says in Isaiah 58, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. See, what was happening in that day was that these followers of God were keeping the Sabbath, which is why Isaiah talks about the Sabbath later in this chapter, verse 13. They were keeping the Sabbath, but they weren't letting their employees keep the Sabbath. See, they wanted their employees to keep working so that they, the owners of the fields, could make more money. That's exploitation. It is using people in order to feed our own self-centered desires. You know, I look at, I look at a, a lot of my clothing and I notice that, that some of it's made in places like Bangladesh where millions of people are living on less than a dollar a day. And I, and I wonder, what are those people being paid to make this shirt that I paid $40 for? Are there child labor laws there? Are people being paid a fair wage? Are they, give, are they being given time off to be with their families? Honestly, I'm afraid that if I look too deeply, I'm gonna see things that are not right and that break God's heart. Again, what does it look like to begin seeing things through this justice lens? Here's another area that we often don't view through the lens of exploitation, and that's the area of pornography. We could spend hours talking about all the ways that pornography is hijacking our brains and destroying our relationships and our ability to connect with other people. But, but I want us to think for a moment here about pornography through the lens of exploitation. Pornography, porn is a multi-million dollar business that intentionally targets the vulnerable. It targets the emotionally vulnerable, those who are struggling with loneliness, with self-rejection. It targets the relationally vulnerable. For someone in a marriage that's struggling, porn becomes an easy alternative to working, to actually working on the, on the relationship. And it targets the most vulnerable, vulnerable of all, children. Statistics reveal that the average age for exposure to porn is around 10 or 11 years old. And it's getting younger all the time. Imagine the impact of, an, of a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old with unrestricted access to porn videos through their smartphone or tablet. Imagine how those videos are shaping his or her sexuality and expectations and emotional development and brain wiring. And here's what we need to realize. These pornographers putting this stuff out, they care nothing about the well-being of that 11-year-old 
or any porn user for that matter. They want money. So they are exploiting us in our vulnerabilities in order to make a buck. But not only that, they are also exploiting those who are part of their videos. The young women who are degraded and used and at times tortured to tantalize millions of paying customers. Research is revealing a growing connection between pornography and date rape, sexual abuse, and sex trafficking. Greeley, Fort Collins, this area is the second largest location of sex trafficking in the entire state of Colorado. See, when we watch porn, we are not only being exploited, we are exploiting others, using them for our own pleasure and feeding a system that treats people like objects. Our society wants us to believe that porn is harmless, even as an ever-growing mountain of evidence points the other direction. But what, what if we viewed porn through the lens of oppression and exploitation and healing justice? See, what, what would it look like to be a people who lift the burden of shame for those who struggle with pornography and, who loving, and, and we lovingly help people walk in sexual freedom and wholeness? What would it look like to be a people who minister to women who are caught in the sex industry and, and to stand up against sex trafficking? See, I think those are the kinds of things that Jesus would want us to be doing. A second expression of oppression is described in verse, or excuse me, in Isaiah 58 is violence. Verse four, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. God wants us to stand for those who are victims of abuse, physical and emotional. A recent Gallup survey revealed 30% of women are in a physically abusive relationship. And even a greater percentage than that are in an emotionally abusive relationship. Husbands or boyfriends who are overly controlling or angry and treat their partner, their wife, like a child rather than a partner. Millions of women have no voice this is a justice issue. What would it look like for us to be a people who have the courage to confront men who are abusing their wives? What would it look like for us to offer emotional and physical shelter for the abused spouse, to offer help for marriages in this kind of crisis? Some friends of mine have recently opened their home to a woman who is a victim of significant emotional abuse from her husband, that they are providing a safe place for this person who is in a very unsafe marriage. That is part of what healing justice looks like. Another oppression issue related to violence in our society today is abortion. Millions of babies are legally aborted every year, leaving in its wake moms and dads who secretly carry huge amounts of grief and shame. The pain of abortion is far-reaching, and that's because of how God values life. God's word says that he forms us in our mother's womb. From the moment of conception, we are unique and wonderful image bearers of God. Life is precious to God. Abortion destroys life, and it, it devastates those involved in the decision. So what would it look like to be a people who stand for life as a justice issue? Voting is important. There is a proposition, Proposition 115, on the ballot that, um, today that, that, that makes late-term abortion illegal in Colorado. So voting is important. 
But our response must go beyond voting. Jesus once said to the religious leaders, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Jesus is saying, oh, you experts in the law, oh, you make it clear when people mess up, but you do nothing to help them after they do. Your approach to morality, Jesus, says, just adds burdens to people. And we need to be careful that we're not guilty of the same thing. Okay, so we're pro-life. Great. Do we welcome with open arms pregnant teenagers? Or do we ignore or shame them for their moral mistake? Do we provide healing and counseling and resources for moms and dads who have been involved in an abortion decision? Or do we create a religious culture where they have to carry their pain in secret because they're afraid of the response they'll get if anyone knew they've been involved with or had an abortion? As followers of Jesus, our job is not to add to people's burdens, but to lift them. This is why we, as a church, we love supporting the ministry of the Resource Center here in town. That they are living this out. And we consider it a privilege to partner with them. Healing justice doesn't add burdens on people through guilt and shame. It lifts burdens. It values every life. Well, there's one other aspect of oppression mentioned in Isaiah 58, and and that is mistreatment. Verse 6 says, we are to loose the chains of injustice. That phrase, chains of injustice, is not just describing a one-time mistreatment. It is describing a system that perpetuates the mistreatment of people. Chains of injustice. The question we as followers of Jesus need to be asking is, where are there systems that are perpetuating people being mistreated? I think of a pastor friend of mine who is Hispanic. A few years ago, he was looking for a building for his growing church. He's a pastor. He's looking for a building for his growing church. And he heard about a congregation in town that was closing So he started reaching out to them just to see if their building might be available. He called them multiple times, left messages, never heard back. He emailed them, never got a response. He then wrote a personal letter to the elder board and actually hand-delivered it to the church. And in this letter, just asking if they would be willing to sell their building to his church who is needing a building. No response, none. Several months later, he heard that this dying congregation had approached another church in town offering to give them their building. This church hadn't even approached them. They they approached this other church offering to give them their building, which they did. So after all of this had happened, the pastor of this dying congregation happened to see my Hispanic pastor friend one day. And and he said to him, look, I, I need to apologize to you. We got your letters and phone calls and emails asking us to sell you the building but our elder board didn't want to sell it to a Hispanic church. This was in Greeley within the last few years. And these are all Christians. Are are there places in our hearts where prejudice has taken hold? And that prejudice is impacting how we view and treat people of a different ethnicity. See, here's what we need to realize. Those heart attitudes, they don't just happen overnight. They are deeply entrenched in all sorts of aspects of our history as a city. I mean, did you know that in the early 1920s, 
just a few blocks from here, a few blocks from our church, when Greeley's population was just over 10,000 people, there were 5,000 people who participated in a Ku Klux Klan parade down 8th Avenue. Just two generations ago, half the population of our city had white supremacist values and were committed to keeping everyone else out. See, what, what, what kind of social and economic impact did those attitudes have towards people of color in our city? Their ability to get jobs or to get a loan or to move into a particular part of town. See, there, there are chains of injustice and prejudice that are deeply rooted in our community. And we have the privilege of identifying where those chains may still be working in our hearts or in our community and helping to lovingly break those chains, to see all people, to see that all people are treated fairly and are equally valued, like my Hispanic pastor friend and his church. Now, I know that sometimes in this conversation, I hear people say, why do we have to keep focusing on the past? You know, the past is the past. Why do we have to keep going back to the past, focusing on the past? Can't we just focus on the present? Well, here's an analogy. If I'm counseling someone about an issue in their life, I will almost always ask them about their past, their family of origin. Why do I do that? Because knowing our past helps us move forward in the present. My goal is not for them to get stuck in the past, but I, I want to ask questions and explore that because I want to get them to see where certain lies got embedded in their hearts in the past so that they can walk in freedom from those lies in the present. The same thing is true with regard to this racial conversation. Our goal is not to dwell on the past and keep revisiting its pain, but, but just speaking as a white person, I feel like those of us who are white, we need to look at the past to see if there are things that have shaped our attitudes, to see if there are systems that have been in place that are unfair toward a particular group of people. So that, not so that we get stuck there, so that all of us as Christ followers can loosen the chains of injustice in the present. We can't change the past, but we can learn from it and begin standing with people who are experiencing racial injustice. You know, I think of the Pledge of Allegiance, which all of us had to recite, right, hundreds of times in school. Remember the last line? In fact, say, say it with me. With liberty and justice for all. That line is rooted in the heart of God. Freedom and justice for all. And here's what is so exciting to me. In the gospel, we are invited into this amazing ministry of Jesus where we get to lift burdens. We get to help set the oppressed free. When, when, when we start looking at our world through this lens of oppression, we suddenly begin to see the opportunities around us to lift burdens. Now, I know that hearing about all these areas of oppression may feel overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. God isn't asking us to change the world. He's simply inviting us to lift a burden when we see it. Maybe there is someone around you in an abusive situation or carrying a burden of shame because of some failure in their life, feeling like God has rejected them. You have an opportunity to come alongside them and lift their burden through the love of Jesus. Or maybe there's a group of people God is laying on your heart 
maybe women who are caught in sex trafficking or refugees in our community or overseas workers who are being taken advantage of. And you want to begin exploring ways to help lift burdens. That is awesome. I was talking with a guy in our church who, who just started working with a group of men who were wanting to help stop sex trafficking. He is so excited to do something in this area that seems so huge. So for this justice series, we have we've put together a list of some organizations that work in, in some of these areas. So you can, like sex trafficking or or poverty, some of these things. And you can click the resource link in this video to access these, this list of nonprofits. It's also in our email newsletter. And we encourage you, just, there's a contact person there. Just feel free to connect with them. Explore what they're doing and just see if God is stirring in your heart a desire to help them lift burdens and to set the oppressed free. Again, what is so exciting to me about this teaching series is what God promises when we begin seeking justice in these ways. Check out verse eight. God says to his people, if you, if you do these things, lose the chains of injustice, all that, if you do these things, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. As we lift the burdens of others, the light of Jesus will break forth bringing healing to people's lives. And we get to be a part of that. Let's pray. So God, thank you for your heart of healing justice, that you stand with the vulnerable and those who are being exploited or mistreated. Thank you for loving us in that way for reaching out to us when we were held captive by the enemy without hope, that through your death and resurrection, you lifted our burden, you set us free. Thank you for being that kind of a God. And I wanna ask right now that you would give all of us eyes to see the oppressed around us and the courage to help lift their burdens, give of ourselves to lift their burdens. And so I want, to, I want to just, in the part of this prayer, I wanted us to quiet our hearts for just a moment as we're praying these things. What, do, what is the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart? Are there areas of tension? Are there, are there things that are stirring in there? Move towards that. Move towards that. Is there a longing? Is there, whatever it is, if there's tension or there's ex excitement or whatever, just move towards that and begin exploring that with Jesus. Lord, we acknowledge our longings to make a difference. We acknowledge some of the tension we feel and some of the wrestling. We, just, we, we acknowledge all of that, and we want to bring all that to you. And we ask you to speak to our hearts. We ask you to help us be a people who lift burdens and God, I am asking you to show each one of us, open our eyes to see the people around us, the organizations or whatever, the, the, the ways that we can respond to this. Just show us how you would want us to respond. We want to be a part of your ministry of healing and restoration to our, our relationships, our community, our world, God. So use us in that way. 
We thank you for being this amazing God that you are, a God with a huge heart for the vulnerable and the needy and the oppressed. Thank you for being that kind of a God and inviting us to join you in that. We worship you. We praise you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.